0: Hi, and welcome to Pints and Politicos, the show where we talk about politics and drink pints. I'm your host, Tim, and on this episode, we have Hamden Councilman Justin Farmer. All right. Hi, my name is Tim, and welcome to Pints and Politicos. On today's episode, we're here with uh, Justin Farmer, a councilman from Hamden. Hey, how are you? And uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about what it takes to run for office, we're going to talk a little bit about town politics. And uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about being in school and uh, being an elected official. So I guess starting,
1: how did I run or how to run?
0: What put you in the frame of mind to run for office, I, assume, I guess, because not many people your age want to run for their town's town council. Um, so what, what got you to run for office?
1: Um, so being 24 years young, I, uh, um, I was doing a lot of work with the labor unions in New Haven. Um, and they had people who were alders already, which was the equivalent of a councilman. And, you know, it was great helping out other communities and seeing people uplift their community. Um, but there was things that I thought I could do differently and things that I wanted to do in my immediate community that bordered Hamden and New Haven. Um, and there, there's a juxtaposition between the Yale community and New Haven. Um, and when it comes to Hamden, we're a, we're a city that pretends that we're a small town rather than be a small town that pretends it's a city. Okay. And in that sense... We we act as if we don't. We have sixty three thousand people in our town. Um, The southern part of town, which I live on, um, is basically a city in Hamden. Um, The issues and the the issues, the revenue streams, the deficiencies, um, and where we're headed in the future, all are things that cities should be doing. which is different from Northern Hamden, which is closer to Cheshire, where you have Sleeping Giant Park. So there's geographically different communities. And seeing that I only live six houses away from being in Newhallville, I thought it was important that I bring that narrative that you can have the best aspects of a small town or a village, a small community, but also it's okay to progress.
0: Now, was... Uh, did you grow up in Hamden? Is Hamden like
1: your hometown? So I was born in New Haven, then we moved to Hamden, and then at six we moved again. So at six I moved across the street from where I am now, okay, which is only half a block <laughs> away from New Haven. So I've,
0: <laughs> I've, I've done that. I've, I've moved two like two streets down from where I used to live. So, um, so have you always been like active in the community? Um, is that something that happened recently or is it just something that you've always been involved in
1: yes and no um, in the immediate community it's probably been the last three or four years Okay. so leading up to this I'd gotten sick, taken some time off from school, looked for stuff to fill my time got hooked into activism and just clung on to anything that I saw that I agreed with to just start doing work and just start showing up um and the more and more I did that I ended up landing in New Haven more and more and then I'd say hey where are these resources for Hamden and more and more I realized oh a lot of these people who are in New Haven actually live in Hamden and they use New Haven activism as an outlet to deal with the issues that they want to be seen changed so let's, let's talk a little about running for
0: office. What is it like? What is it like? Because I know what it's like. I, I ran for office. But um, what is it like to you know run a campaign at 24?
1: So it, it's weird. So I was 22 when I started running. All right, 22. Uh, and I had my birthday a month before the elections. Oh, so, wow. It, so the, the craziest thing was i think in hindsight if i could go back it took me a long time to say i was a leader right um because it's weird at 22 at 24 i'm still aware of how much i actually know and what i don't know and at this point especially in politics you age differently where you're cognizant of how young you really are right but you're also aware of how old You can be. (laughs) So it's weird, like, half of the time going like, oh, I'm 55. But then you're like, no, you're, like, mentally, like, 15, (laughs) and you have no idea what you're doing. Um, So that took a long time for me to say to people I was a leader. And because of that, I didn't actually – I knew I kind of wanted to start running from December. Okay. um, But I didn't actually start to – put my name out there and say that I was explicitly going to run until uh, May, which made it a lot harder because you had finals (laughs) and all these things, and I knew I had to kick off soon. And then I had to get a core team of people. So over the summer, I got a couple of friends together and told them about my crazy ideal. (laughs) Uh, So I had worked on other campaigns before too. So the previous year... The previous year and a half, I worked on two campaigns. I worked on the uh, Senate campaign in Milford, uh, and then I helped out peripherally other candidates there, like Kim Rose, Ben Genninger, one of the guys who uh, didn't uh, win, but got to learn a lot about politics outside of my immediate community, which was a benefit. And then I worked with working families as a paid canvasser, so... I bounced around all different parts of the state learning about how to run. Um, so coming up with a win number, Right. which a win number is, you know, how many doors, how many people do you need to talk to and convince to vote for you to be able to win? Um, drawing turf. So cutting up a map and figuring out how many people can I knock on their doors and expect to talk to today? And then how will i come back to them um making literature i <laughs> I, I spent in 800, 880 bucks okay. on my campaign so i was on the low side of my
0: uh yeah that's a relatively cheap <laughs> campaign
1: my, my opponent <laughs> raised 6000 dollars oh my god so it it dollar to dollar is trying to figure out what to do i mostly asked friends to volunteer their time which i personally was knocking at least five to seven hours every day right for two or three months just constantly um get up make some phone calls check social media see what's going on look at events that i should probably show up to and then knock doors just knock doors knock doors knock doors um which is what a candidate does, but it was also right. weird because I was my own campaign manager. <laughs> um, if any of you are going to run your first time, do not be your own campaign manager. It,
0: and don't um, don't be your own campaign manager and don't be your own treasurer. <laughs> yeah, no, luckily I yeah
1: luckily I had a treasurer do the filings for me. Um, but even coming up with lit, I yeah. ended up printing lit on pieces of paper, just white paper and adapted it. I actually started knocking a month before the conventions. Okay. And a month before my opponent really started anything. So I ended up leaving just pieces of paper with general information. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I said, Okay, let me add some pictures. All right. Now let me word it specifically for different communities. Right. Um, let me put some issues that I wanna work on. And then I ended up having my lit translated into five different languages. Wow. Um, which was a cool experience to realize that there were so many people in my community that I didn't realize there were these micro communities in my community. Uh-huh. Uh, and then going to find friends and other people that I knew to translate information. So we ended up getting in Spanish and Arabic, um, Portuguese, um, and Mandarin, uh, and then there was one lady that we got it for in Japanese. <laughs> like she, like understood my pitch, everything, <laughs> but she like wanted it in Japanese. And uh, luckily, Yale is in our backyard. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool that you got it. You got it translated to a bunch of different. La- I would want to see with like what my lit would look like in different languages.
1: Oh yeah, because some of the translations were different. So it's just yeah. like, oh, I thought I said this in a very articulate smart way (laughs) and then like oh okay i sound like i can't speak
0: (laughs) yeah especially the eastern to western translation like that's got to be a a weird thing to see because some of our words don't match up with some of their words yeah yeah
1: farmer uh, as a name uh translating it to agriculture people were really confused they're like hold on like what do you do it's like no no that's my name that's not what i'm running for that's just my name that's funny um so uh you were talking about
0: canvassing and and uh cutting turf and all that did you did you make your own turf maps or did you have like the state resources like the van network to do that
1: so originally i had van um Because I asked permission before, and it turns out, so I wasn't the endorsed candidate. So it turns out when you're not the endorsed candidate, you don't get access to the van list. You need to pay for your own. So I didn't know that. So about halfway through our campaign, I get a call from the party chair, and he's like, yeah, you can't use this anymore. Someone told on you. Oh, um, jeez. uh, and actually, that day was my birthday. So it's just like, what? <laughs> it, it was a bad day that day. Yeah. Um, so we had to, we had no plan of re, remapping, making new turf, cutting new lit. Right. Um, but we had to do that in the middle of it. And we were using vans for the IDs. Um, IDs being, we had knocked on a person's door and we'd rank them one through five, one being positive, five being negative. Um, and then put in notes. So even things like, hey, this person has a storm drain that they want repair. Right. Um, something we realized maybe two or three weeks before Van was taken from us is that everything we put in, our opponent could see. Right, yeah. Which was another setback where it, it became very hard to...
0: Right. It, it, be, it becomes hard when your opponent can see your strategy, basically. Yeah. Um, when you were, when you were targeting voters, is there a certain kind of voter that you targeted or was it all (laughs) like, was it all like party line stuff?
1: I targeted, um, I targeted Dems for the primary, uh, heavily and I targeted new voters and unaffiliated voters who recently voted Dem. Okay. Um, because I knew that I would have to, not having the party endorsement. I would have to pick up extra people. Right. Um, I So I also, because I didn't get the uh, nomination, I had to petition. So there was a two-week period where I had to get, I want to say it was like 500 signatures okay, of Dems to say, hey, you can run as a Democratic primary candidate, um, which was just insane to... Try to in two weeks just go to people's door and say, Hey, I know you might not want to vote for me now, but can you just sign this paper saying that I can run? And people would get so weird because they're like, Are you gonna steal my information? <laughs> like, no, 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 I just need you to sign this so I can run. Um, I think that actually ended up helping me, right? Because it there are some people's doors who I hit four times where by the fourth time they're like, All right, listen. Don't come back here again. (laughs) I will see you at the polls. You got my vote. That that happened to me.
0: (laughs) Because, all right, so I was on so many different canvassing lists for the recent election that people kept showing up to my door and calling me and texting me. And I was like, listen, I'm the treasurer for a candidate. (laughs) I'm going to vote. Don't worry. (laughs) Oh, man.
1: Um but, but to answer your question, we also hit... It, so I have some of the richest people in town and okay. some of the poorest people in town. So there's a lot of people whose doors have never been hit. All right. Where just hitting their door, it's like, oh, the last time you really voted was for Obama. And since then, no one has really checked, checked you out, see what's going right. on. Um, but just... They're straight Ds, but no one has visited them for so long. Um,
0: Was it because they don't vote, or was it because they always vote? Or was it just they never A combination.
1: Mostly people who didn't vote. Yeah. um, Who they had voted in that election and felt that the change they were looking for didn't happen. Okay. And nobody just checked in with them. Or just even simply checking in with them. Some people just knocking on their door... I don't know who you are. I don't even know what you're talking about. Sure, you got me. You need some help? Cool.
0: Um, yeah, people just like having their doors. Like people, for the most part, like seeing the candidates. Yeah. They like being noticed. They like when you interact with them.
1: <laughs> that, that that was a different <laughs> dynamic too, because a lot of people would go, "Oh, you're a politician." And it's like, yeah. "Listen, this is my first time running." I oh well you know you people only come around during election time like <laughs> listen uh, th- th- that's not me like maybe next time you can say that but so far uh, this is my first time running
0: oh for me it was um because i was a democrat running in a very republican district it was why are you running you democrats don't win what are you doing stop wasting your time and my time but the but um, was oh I, this is a question I ask everyone who I who I meet who does canvassing stuff is what is the most what is the most unique response that you ever got while canvassing? Like what is the thing that someone said to you that just completely blew you away?
1: Well, okay, there was uh, there's been a couple of different ones. I remember one person. Um, there's not many. Uh, it's a pretty much left-leaning district. Yeah. But I remember one guy telling me that he's never going to vote Democrat and that I was wasting my time and that um, I had stole his taxes. <laughs> I just, I didn't understand what was going on. And then he's like, you know what? Like, you know, you know, we used to handle problems differently back in the day. And it's like, well, I'm gone. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was a unique response or uh, one person who said they were going to vote for me and like everything was good, but something about like a dog in their basement and they couldn't come out because the dog was like drowning or something. It was just there are some times where you (laughs) knock on doors. I'm like, I'm not sure if you're telling me a story or (laughs) like if you want me to go, I'll just go. but Don't confuse me.
0: Um. So we're gonna switch gears in, in a second and talk about um, what it's like to actually hold office. Um. But first, since this podcast is called uh, Pints and Politicos, um, we're supposed to be drinking something right now, but it's too early in the morning for that. Um. But what is your what is your favorite what is your favorite beverage? So
1: I, I don't drink, but I do drink ginger beer. I, okay. So it has been my go-to drink. Where. You know, I feel the elegance of drinking beer <laughs> and a little bit fire in the stomach, something right. a little bit stronger.
0: Okay. Um Professor Wharton, his was uh his was uh Turo's of IPA. Of That's course. his favorite. That's <laughs> his favorite. Um Meat so,
1: or on the Rocks.
0: Uh he just uh, he just drinks it however he can. Okay. He just I mean I, I I've I've had a few drinks of them over over the course of the last couple of years. It doesn't matter. He'll he'll drink it as long as it's IPA. Um, so what? So you get a like you win your election. How much? How much do
1: you win by? Like what's? So the primary election I won by twenty three votes. Wow. Put three over the mandatory recount. <laughs> uh, so a very very close race.
0: That that is the slimmest of margins. Yes. Um, how many people voted in the primary?
1: So, 523. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, and then, so you win the primary, so you get the, do you get the party backing at that point?
1: I get the party backing at that point. Um, I pivot my attention to another person's campaign, uh, Brad McDowell. He actually was one of the people who convinced me to run in the first place. Um, and the general... I ended up getting the highest vote turnout of any of the districts. Wow. Um, and actually got almost 200 votes more than the mayor in my district. Oh, geez. So it was a very uh, humbling experience to go from 23 votes to, <laughs> oh, okay, I got the most votes for any individual. I'm like, oh, okay, cool.
0: So you actually created the mayor, create you created an undervote for the mayor. That's hilarious.
1: The- yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think part of it is just being new, where a lot of people were. I don't really know you. I you gotta remember we're coming out of the 2016 elections, where people right. were like, I, I just dislike politics. Mm-hmm. You seem genuine. You don't seem like you're in it to do something malicious. So I'm just gonna trust you generally, and right. I think that gave me a lot of leeway.
0: Um, what do you think was like the most? What was? What do you think was the most? Um contributing factor to you winning being a, being someone who's never run before uh,
1: so something that I did differently was I was doing street cleanups uh, we have C click fix so see click fixing things as I was running um, I just did it differently right um, had held a couple of community forums where the campaign was not just knocking doors it was right community engagement where someone would see me cleaning up the side of the road and they would go well don't you need to knock on doors <laughs> it's like i'm trust me i'm knocking on doors <laughs> but i want to make sure people understand that this is not just a front right um and by the end of the campaign a lot of people who didn't support me or didn't think that i could do it ended up switching camps, and ended up actually helping me. So much so that on election day, I had several factions of people who hated and loathed each other, uh-huh. but were there to support me. Okay. And that that was something monumental for me.
0: So you, like, built a coalition of enemies, basically?
1: Yes, but didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of it I didn't even piece together until election day. Wow. It's like... Oh, you two stand on very opposite <laughs> corners of the Holy spectrum.
0: So what is it like to be on, on uh, Hamden's town council?
1: Um, it's rewarding. Um, I, at first I thought of it just like community organizing and volunteering time. And then I realized that it's a full-time job. And it's hard to delineate politics from my responsibility as a councilman. Okay. Um, There's tons of political events that you get invited to. There's a ton of forums and um, regional events that go on. And then there's helping other political candidates. And then there's actual governance, going to your boards and commissions. Right. Um, I ended up being on uh, uh, public safety, um, education, uh, chairing the environmental committee and vice chairing economic development, where... And I happen to be the majority whip where I have a ton of executive responsibilities that I had no idea of before running. Um, Yeah. So it's cool to, you know, you deal with like a $230 million budget. That's a big budget. But then you also deal with trees and potholes (laughs) and try to make sure that, you know, the little things are smoothed over, but the long-term picture is also there. Um. So what what's the most challenging
0: part about being an elected official uh, and going to college? Uh, well, one <laughs> thing,
1: I don't think people understand how much time can be put into this. It right. could easily be a full-time job. Um, and then a lot of the way, like we see movies and TV shows of how politics works. It doesn't work that way. These networks and... The way people have community, it doesn't work that way. So there's all the time I'll get people, hey, how do I pay my taxes? Or how do I do this? Or how do do I do that? And you think there would be a flow chart to explain it? (laughs) You just have to go through it. So like someone applying for assisted housing, it's like, I don't know how that works. I'm going to have to help you walk through it. But also, I don't have any legal expertise. so. Please don't sue me if I (laughs) tell you the wrong thing. Um, So those are things that I think that people don't realize. And then in terms of being a student, there are some professors who are very understanding. Right. And then there are others where, oh, well, you, you know, you spent your free time doing whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. The Mayor just spent five million dollars <laughs> without permission or trying to figure out how to close the budget right, and this will affect a hundred dollars more on taxes might mean life or death for some people right um so yeah, I was up all night at this <laughs> Board of Ed meeting figuring out what school we're gonna deal with, and that affects generations. so yes, I am ten minutes late with emailing you my paper right. Oh well that's ten points off.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dog ate my homework. I was up late at a board of Ed meeting. Same thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that must be a u- that must be a unique response
1: to why was your paper late? Oh even <laughs> every semester since running, uh, and being on council, every time I tell professors, they're like, What? Like why are you like Okay, that's a different gag. It's like, no no, this is a real thing. Yeah. Like I really am an elected official. They're like, Yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> sure you are. Millennials and your elected officials. <laughs> it's a participation trophy. Right. <laughs> um, so as as a councilman, what is like your um what's your policy passion? Like what, what do you what do you put above like what's the top of your platform? Oh
1: I would say trying to be intersectional, Um, realizing that our town is going to change. Our demographics are 60-40, 40% 40 being minority, 60% um, being white. And in the next 10 years, that's going to change. Okay. 53% of our kindergartners are kids of color. So talking about poverty, talking about um, gentrification, there needs to be affordable housing regionally as well as in Hamden specifically. Um, talking about urban issues and a transition so that we have a city space that operates like a city space and think long term about how to keep youthful people in our community right? Um, and trying to build those coalitions where sometimes you know a person doesn't connect that not having resources for one side of the community actually affects them. Right. Like, oh, well, if this person has a harder time and they have less resources, that means more tax money is diverted to this, and that means your taxes are higher. Right. And trying to make those coalitions and explain to people the needs of different communities. Um that's probably my highest priority cuz my district is just it's the suburbs, it's also an inner city area. And it has. There are some of my constituents who, probably like forty or fifty constituents, who easily pay thirty thousand dollars plus in taxes. Right. And then I have people who only make thirty something thousand dollars a year. So you have you have like both ends of the both ends of the spectrum.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's D- probably my highest part. <laughs> <laughs> does that does that present like a uh, a unique? like constituent response because if you have the constituents who have a lot of money and you have very poor constituents like do they clash sometimes when they're asking you for things there
1: are clashes but I think for the most part everyone is really accommodating it's sometimes those who don't make the connection okay so there are times where I say well you know something my first week the week before I took office, there was a young man who was killed three blocks from my house. Okay. Inside my district, and talking with community members and figuring out how we prevent things like that from happening. And I remember talking to one gentleman, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, you know, we need to work on those stuff. We need a community center for the use, so on and so forth." Um, but when are we gonna open up the old golf course? Uh, right. And trying to. Have that conversation in a respectful way, right, and meet that person where they are can be difficult, or sometimes having conversations like none of our stuff is done da 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 it's like okay, this is true, but also we're in the middle of doing this other thing, like okay, your sidewalk hasn't been fixed, but it's number fifty on the list, right and I can try to push it up but there's a hundred other things to do, or this tree is very important, but, you know, we're having a crisis right now with uh, dealing with, earlier on, I had a constituent who was about to lose their house. Um, and it's like, listen, I, I will come back to this tree issue or I will come back to this issue about, you know, uh, someone dumping snow on your yard uh, but you can't just call a town hall and expect me to know, or you can't just be expect me to know and, right and not engage so it's often trying to bring all those groups together and like hey, listen to each other what you're saying right, so you understand how I should process it and help me prioritize what you feel should be getting done um so we, we before before we started
0: the show, we talked about um Hamden has some issues with uh, school districting. Yes, <laughs> and and that's been that's been in the local news a lot lately. So what's what's going on in in with the Hamden school district?
1: Well, th- this is a problem that predates me. Um, I graduated from the high school five years ago, um, but this has been an issue for the last twenty twenty five years. Okay, and part of that issue is. Um, part of it's not so much of an issue it's a positive change is that diversity is something sought after and we have lots of it in Hampton so over the last 20 something years the town has changed from homogeneously white to a mixed community but with that having attendance zones from the state we have to have districts that have somewhere between 70% Minority or whites, and 30% minority uh, or whites. So it has to be one or the other. Okay. And having that, it becomes very difficult with a town like Camden, where you have a 60 40 split, where you, you just, not every school is going to be able to have a neighborhood school. Right. And at one point, we had 10 neighborhood schools, uh, two middle schools, one high school. We're now down to one high school one middle school and we had eight elementary schools. It just wasn't sustainable. And on top of that, for the last 20 years, the educational cost sharing dollars from the state, we've been shortchanged $20 million by their own formula. Right. So $20 million more should be coming to our students where to keep all of the schools open is probably an extra cost of $3 million a year.
2: Right.
1: Um, which we couldn't even do that. And even if we had that money, I, I think closing the schools, closing schools was the right choice because we had too many. Right. But it's a difficult, you're talking about monetary issues. You're talking about racial diversity. And you're also talking about brick and mortar where, wherever you decide to place a place, it's going to be there ideally for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Right. Um, so it's having a vision of what that community will look like. Uh, that's the short change answer of what's going on with the
0: schools. Um, so you said that you guys, that Hamden has closed down some schools. Yeah. Um, is that because the student population has gone down or are they just too expensive to maintain?
1: So population across the state has gone down. Okay. Um, there's less enrollment. Um millennials we aren't having as many children as baby boomers big <laughs> surprise uh but on top of that they uh, part of the issue that we have is with that decline. it's attached to racial diversity okay so as you know if you have less kids the numbers are harder to make work right and you know attendance zones looked zigzags because we would add so the school I ended up going to Springland Glen school um, it's basically like East Rock equivalent where you had a lot of Yale affiliates who lived in this community who bought a house and their kids went to this local school and then they took five blocks on the border of Hamden New Haven and added it to Springland school attendance zone so that they would have enough racial diversity, uh, in that school. Um, and with that things like a special education room were not put into the new physical building when it was rebuilt because most of the students didn't have that need. Right. And those are the type of things that we're trying to work around in a brick and mortar situation where you have students with different needs. Right. Uh, Part of us closing down the school also allows us to rebuild our schools in a smarter way where we'll have a school for K to three for kids with special needs and disabilities where they can get all their in-house services in one place. Right. Rather than sending speech pathologists to this school two days a week or that school two days a week. Yeah. Where we can have kids get the help that they need as soon as possible and achieve at their best ability, but that also saves us money down the road. Right. So th- there it there's a lot of moving parts to it. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: yeah, I've I've learned that uh a lot of especially when it comes to special needs students, a lot of school districts are um under-prepared. Yeah. And the the fact that the state is sending less and less money uh and that the state budget has had to they've had to cut a lot of education spending in the state budget uh makes the burden a lot more on the cities
1: yeah and, and I, a unique plug I want to make about Hamden is that we have a great special education program that people move in to our town for but with that you're, you're it's a thing that draws people to our community but it's also something that is a, it, it's hard to accommodate students. Some students just need extra supports. Right. And everyone on face value, everyone wants to help all these kids, kids with English as a second language, kids who have special disabilities. But we don't always put our money where our mouths are. And that's something that I'm proud that our town continues to do that.
0: It's good because there's there's a lot of students who... Um, wouldn't get that otherwise yeah
1: like me i'm, I'm <laughs> one of those students so i'm very happy um so
0: let's let's talk about uh community activism <laughs> uh <laughs> currently
1: or past or
0: um well let's start with um what
1: what were your activists uh uh passions i, I originally did a lot with um uh, the unite here union um so I did, they had New Haven Rising, which was supposed to be a community union union. I I, okay. I don't really know how to explain <laughs> it. Um, so I did a lot with them. And then I realized that I love labor, I support labor, but that's not how I wanted to organize. Right. Um, so I ended up working with Surge, showing up for racial justice, um, Black Lives Matter, um, showing up to ULA events trying to help out where I could uh DA Action who helps immigrants especially those who are being deported um dealing with wage theft um and then anything else that I saw um just any groups that I saw that were doing good stuff I'd just show up and say hey how can I help right uh, what are you doing what are you doing uh currently so I, I uh, people against police brutality I had been organizing with them before I ran for office. Right now there's a uh civilian review board uh proposal uh, going to the Board of Alders in New Haven. Um so that's been something that's been weird to be an elected official in another municipality. <laughs> And kind of weigh in where it's like, well, technically, to be fair, I had already been doing this before I was elected. Right. And it's more just following through with a vision um, that we had. Um, usually on Sunday nights, I stay over at First and Summerfield with Nelson Pinos. He's uh, been in Sanctuary for over a year. Ula has done amazing work to help him and his family and to help other people who've Are facing deportation Um, so going to rallies going to meetings when I can um, writing letters calling people that's something else that uh, that I've been really active in in the last year and then I uh, am an intern at Planned Parenthood so I've been doing that for the last year working on affordable housing so you know (laughs) lots of free time
0: (laughs) Um, so, uh, the last thing I want to touch on is that you're up for re-election <laughs> yeah. in, in, in a couple of months. Um, when, when is the election? You said May. May is,
1: uh, May is when primaries start. Okay. So All I, right. in theory, I shouldn't have to campaign too hard, but I don't take anything at risk right.
0: where. Well, well, now you're in the position of being the incumbent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, what joy. Uh, <laughs> so what do you think what do you think is going to be different from the last campaign now that you're the incumbent and you have the advantage decidedly um over whoever your opponent's going to be? Um is it going to change your messaging? Is it going to change how
1: you campaign? For sure. So and and I know I frustrate some people when I say this. I am Eighty-nine percent sure that I'm gonna rerun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, so a definitely maybe a, um, a, a strong maybe. Okay. Um, there were six of us who were new to council on a fifteen-person council. I am the youngest person on leadership by eleven years, um, which is a group of five of us plus the mayor who meet and kind of set the agenda. Okay. Every other week. Um, it's been an eye opening experience. There are going to be some people running for mayor, um, which, you know, it's going to, everyone's going to get into their own faction. Right, right. They'll be, they'll be trying to get position and stuff like that. Mm. But there are also some people who are probably going to retire. Okay. Um, so there might be as many as five or six seats again that open up, which is Huge turnover on top of turnover. Right. So things that, you know, I'm planning, my plan is to start knocking doors soon to find out what issues people want to work on. And then we have the census coming up where we're going to have to redraw census maps. Yep. So thinking about those type of things, uh, that it's just different to be actively part of the process as right. well as campaigning. Um, is there,
0: so without saying that you're definitely running, yeah. <laughs> um, what uh, are, what yeah. are the things that you would want to push in a uh, policy wise in your next term? If you were to, if you were to run again,
1: uh, there are some things that I want to call the question. Um, Hamden is overwhelmingly a democratic town and things like, uh, memiscible ID is something that I want to see us start to, uh, have I want to have the conversation of being a sanctuary city Um, I want to have the conversation of us our next charter revision us actually declaring that we are a city (laughs) because we in fact are a city Um, and then prepare to talk about racial diversity in a way that builds community right Uh, those are huge things for me that as a town I think we're ready I don't think everyone in leadership nor everyone who are elected leaders in our town are ready to talk about. Right. But I think it, it's now or never. Um, so that's what I want to see. I kind of played it cool my first year because I wanted to <laughs> – I really wanted to learn. Well,
0: yeah, yeah, you got to you gotta
1: learn the ropes.
0: I mean, any sort of position like that, it's always like on-the-job training. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> unless, Unless you're like a career politician going into
1: that sort of thing is – you're learning as you go. But uh, uh, just uh, to point out to people, I'm studying to be a marine biologist. So, <laughs> <laughs> although it is fishy territory, it's not exactly what I was thinking. <laughs>
0: well, so how did you? That's weird. a Marine biologist, huh? <laughs> and you're on. I mean, do you do you see like any sort of like thing? Do you see any sort of political career beyond town council, or is it just? It's
1: something that i know could be possible um but one thing i've learned about politics you can stay in this for a very long time and if you treat it as a job that you're entitled to right then it makes it harder to be effective so i i'm just going to continue to do what i need to do and if people are like yeah we have faith in you and we want you to do bigger and better things cool Right. But I've seen a lot of people who are ambitious who are ready to jump to the next level when there are good people in those spaces already. Right. And we really need to focus on building out the bench where it's a partnership. I should I should have a great connection with my state reps and state senators who also have connections to our US representatives. Right. To be able to get stuff for our community rather than worrying about jumping to the next level right and my hope is
0: that if i do (laughs) a good job
1: and that i'm doing what i need to do that whether it's politically or otherwise that people will look out for me and have opportunities for me to continue to serve my community um because yeah that that's kind of where i've come from knowing that you can spend a lot of time campaigning and doing nothing and run up the ladder but at some point i want to get to a point where i'm just doing what i need to do right and that's my form of campaigning
0: um what are we at for time okay then i I think we'll just wrap up then um so uh thanks justin for coming on the podcast no thank you for inviting me (laughs) um i will have you back sometime uh maybe closer to the election, so you can talk about uh once you decide that you're going to run once you don't, you know um so we can talk about you know uh campaigning and all that um and you know
1: good luck on your finals yes, thank you um safe travels and thank you for inviting me out uh, that plug alone has. Bumped me up to 91%, sure. 91 okay.
0: <laughs> hey, at least, at least I got you there. At least I got you there. 91% is good enough. All right, so uh, that's all for uh, Pints and Politicos. Uh, we'll see you next time. And that's it for this episode of Pints and Politicos. I'd like to thank our guest, Justin Farmer. I would also like to thank Baobab Tree Studios for producing this podcast. And I'd like to thank Justin Gendron of Rhododendron Designs for designing our logo. The music for this podcast was provided by audioaudix.com. And if you'd like to advertise with us, contact Baobab Tree Studios by email, info at baobabtreestudios.tv. See you next time.